Amen. Hey, that's right. Two times in a row, we're in the workbook. Anybody excited? Yeah, may not be there that long, but hey, we're in the workbook. Uh, but as you turn there, I'll stall some time for you. We're in, once again, world religions, cults, and the occult. And we're on the topic of Buddhism. Buddhism. Praise God, you guys can see and read at the same time. Uh, that's pretty talented. Now, as we take a look there, as you turn to your pages, we already saw last time we dealt with the history of Buddhism, where did it come from, and all that stuff. And basically, by this guy, Siddhartha Gautama, however you want to pronounce his name, uh, is up to you. But anyway, but uh, basically, he was, lived a sheltered uh, ex, uh, life in a life of luxury, and uh, then he snuck out. And he snuck out and he saw the four passing sights and he saw an old man, then a person suffering from a disease and a dead man and an aesthetic monk, okay? And based on these four sights, that radically shocked him because he lived a life of shelter. He had a problem reconciling uh, suffering, right, with a, with, with a deity, with a god, right? And so he came up with what he called the middle path. That's basically what uh, Buddhism, the middle path, okay? It's not one, it's not the other. It's not a life of luxury, the extreme over here, and it certainly isn't this aesthetic lifestyle, because if you recall, he tried that and almost killed himself, okay? And so he developed what's called the middle path. That's basically what Buddhism is. Now, it's based on what we saw before, the four noble truths, okay, which leads to the eightfold path, which is basically their works-based salvation, okay? You got to work there, pull up by your bootstraps, and you can avoid... The big goal in life is to avoid suffering. And part of the Four Noble Truths was, he says, obviously, life is full of suffering. Suffering's caused by desires. But he said the good news was, you just need to get rid of all desires. Well, as we saw, the logical absurdity with that is, guess what? The desire to get rid of desire is a desire. <laughs> so you're doomed from the beginning. Give me a break. That's the whole core of the mandate for Buddhism. It's crazy. Not to mention, as we saw in his Eightfold Path, all these things, whether it's wisdom and ethical conduct and mental development, it's all doomed. All doomed. You'll never get to that state of perfection because of the sin nature. And then what we saw, it's really sad, is because uh, what do you do with sin, right? You have nothing with sin. And we're going to get to that tonight in witnessing how to reach uh, the Buddhist, okay, some things to hone in on, okay, but he also, again, it was a blend, also a blend of Hinduism, because he, he maintained karma and reincarnation, meditation, things of that nature, uh, so that's a blend, but also, as we saw, believe it or not, it's also very attractive to the atheist, okay, because, again, he had a problem with this suffering thing, so he had to try to figure out how to get there, i.e., his version of salvation, avoid all this suffering without the need of a god, Okay, uh, by and large, okay, even though it's splintered off into worship of Buddha and things of that nature uh, as a deity and the things of that nature. But we saw that, and it's radically different than Christianity. Now, again, I said this last time, if you recall, but we are just getting started in our study. And remember at the very beginning, I, I peppered it many times. Anybody who comes up to you and says, hey, don't you know all religions are basically the same? Is that the most ridiculous statement? You, and we, we, were, we got a long ways to go. Can you believe it? And again, what does that mean? Translate. They mean, that means you don't know anything apparently about Christianity to make that statement. And number two, you certainly don't know anything about world religions, cults, and the occult. Diametrically opposed. And so it is uh, with Buddhism. Now, we left off last time. All right, here's the point. So basically, you let these people going down the middle path, whatever path. It's a false path. leads straight to hell. So what we do is we do nothing. Wrong answer. Whoever said that, praise God for you. Okay, no wrong answer. No, we're supposed to witness to them, right? As we have the charge, the gospel. It's not just us. God wants us to witness to anybody, okay? Even, yes, the Buddhists, okay? And that's what we're going to see a little bit tonight. Before we get into another one of their evangelistic ways to snooker people into Buddhism, okay? But witnessing. There we saw there at the bottom of the page, witnessing strategies for Buddhists in your workbook. Number one, once again, sanctify your heart. First Peter 3. 
3.15, if you recall, be prepared to give an answer. So if somebody comes who's flat out a Buddhist, like somebody next door to us in the whole garb, worshiping at their temple, uh, or whether it's somebody who's influenced with Buddhism or a Buddhist mindset and they don't even realize it, you are prepared to give an answer. And that's why hopefully uh, you're here tonight. Number two, you need to pray. This is a spiritual battle. Who does the saving? God, right? Who, who, who removes the scales from the eyes, the hardness from the heart? Who illuminates them to, whoa, the Spirit of God, right? Many people say, oh, I guess the only thing I could do is pray. What do you mean the only thing you could do? Prayer is the first thing you should be doing. Hell, that's the most important thing you should be doing. Prayer is not a spare tire in the trunk, okay? It is not our last resort. It's our first resort. Hello. So pray, okay, uh, number one. And then, of course, be ready with a good understanding of the Scriptures. Know why you believe what you believe. Don't just say, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. They come back with you at some basic question. I don't know, Pastor Billy said so. <laughs> now, hopefully I'm telling you the truth. I strive very hard for that, okay? But listen, you've got to know the Scripture uh, yourself. I say it all the time. Don't take my word for it. Listen to God's, okay? Uh, as we saw there. Don't argue. Don't attack the person, okay? Make sure you define your words, Okay, don't get off on tangents, okay? The important points are the source of authority. What do you base your beliefs on? Okay, the nature of God, okay? He's real, okay? The person and work of Jesus, why? Because he's the only way out of this mess, not yourself, okay? The nature of man, you ain't gonna get there no matter how eight-fold path, 18-fold path, two-fold path, 800 path. You're never gonna get there on your own, okay? The nature of man and the means of salvation, it's only through Jesus. Now, avoid Christian jargon. Again, the Christianese, they have no idea what you're talking about, right? The deep fried, all kinds of fried, fried, sanctified, justified, they don't know all that stuff. Good stuff, biblical stuff. That means nothing to them. So get away from all that, right? Now, at the top of the page, some specifics though. Listen to your verbiage when you're coming from somebody, uh, you're dealing with somebody from a Buddhist background or, dare I say, Buddhist mindset. Okay, because we have a lot of Americans who may not have shaved the head and who may not be worshiping at a Buddhist temple, but they might as well be because that's their mindset. All right. Now, you may want to avoid terms such as new birth. That's in your first blank there tonight. New birth, okay, rebirth, regeneration, or born again. Why do you think that would be the case? Right? Reincarnation, exactly right, Ruth, because they're going to think, oh, hey, you believe the same thing I do, reincarnation, karma. No, we don't. Right? Now, the biblical words it says there, Okay, but again, to them, it's what? It's Christianese. So use alternatives such as endless freedom from suffering, guilt, and sin. Why something like that? Well, what's the whole premise, as we saw, of Buddhism? To escape from suffering, right? Suffering's caused by desires. You've got to get rid of all these desires, and somehow it's all about suffering, escaping from suffering. The whole core is he ran into suffering after a life of shelter. and So freedom from that, real freedom from that. Also guilt. These guys, they can't do it. They're trying their hardest, okay? Trying to do pull up by the bootstraps. They're trying to follow the eightfold path. They're trying to escape this cycle of endless suffering and all that stuff, but it never works. You ever remember that? Remember those days before as a Christian? You thought somebody could clean yourself up? How frustrating it was? And, and you had that false mindset. Well, I can't go to church services. If I do, the whole the roof's going to cave in on. <laughs> yeah. God can't save me, right? Well, that's the mentality that even uh, from a, a, a person who's trying to realize Christianity, that's false. Is anybody glad that God accepts you for who you are, no matter what you've done? And then from that point forward, he cleans you up and he does something incredible. Radically different. This is what they, and so they live with a life of guilt. 
right? A life of guilt and again and sin. A new power of living a holy life, right? You can't do it on your own, but the Spirit of God can. We'll get to that in just a second. Promise of eternal good life without suffering, a.k.a. heaven, right? There really is a place. There is an end goal in mind. You just can't earn it, okay? And, or maybe a gift of unlimited merit. Again, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it. It's not an amount of good works. Just receive it, will you? Okay? Number two, share your own testimony, especially your freedom from guilt. Okay? Assurance of heaven, no more pain, and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, they don't have that, right? Again, it's almost a kind of an atheistic mindset. They just become nothing. Remember that? Their version of nirvana, different than Hinduism, but still there. They just poof, you, you annihilate. There's no personal relationship. There's no assurance there, right? But how radically different Christianity is, okay? Number three, a concept that is important to the Buddhists, again, is suffering. Jesus overcame the cause of suffering, i.e. sin, okay? Radically different. There's victory in him. The secret of true success, inner peace, self-control, and lasting salvation is submission to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not Buddha. Buddha is still dead. Buddha is in the grave somewhere in the dirt, rotting, and has been rotting for a long time. Not Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected from the dead. He is God in the flesh, okay? And he has given us victory over sin. Now, those who repent and trust in Jesus are set free. Now, listen to this. Set free from the power of sin, right, in this life and from the eternal penalty and presence of sin after death in eternity. Let me translate that long phrase, a hell. <laughs> we don't go to hell, Okay, but notice it wasn't just the penalty of sin that we're set free from through Jesus Christ, i.e. hell. It's also the power of sin right here now, right? What's Paul saying in Romans chapter 6? We are, praise God, no longer slaves to sin. These guys are trying to escape sin and the cycle of sin, and sin causes suffering, and it just ain't working. They're full of guilt and misery and this yuck. But as a Christian, how many of us are walking in that victory that Christ has already given to us? We need to yield to his spirit. His spirit, and the fruit of his spirit is awesome. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc., etc. Right? He, before we get to heaven, it's not just being freed from the penalty of sin, hell, but the power of sin by his spirit, yielding to his spirit, there is no sin that we have to be a slave to. Isn't that awesome? That's before we get to heaven. That's what the Bible says. This is a future hope, a hope that Buddhism does not offer. Number four, extend yourself in love to your Buddhist friend. Now, we talked a little bit about this before, but... Listen to this. A true Buddhist knows nothing about caring for other people or having that reciprocated, being cared for. Listen, Buddha taught that, quote, you are an island unto yourself. I wonder if that influenced that song. I'm an island. I'm Simon the Garfunkel. I don't know. Who knows? Eastern mysticism was wild during those days, so still is. Maybe it was. Anyway, so you're an island unto yourself, and, quote, if someone is suffering, that is his what? Karma. Remember we talked about this before? This is actually a very cruel, cruel religion okay and so is a lot of uh, the eastern uh, uh hindu religions and things of that nature who believe in karma because i cannot they say i cannot and you should not and buddha taught this you should not help that person who's crippling starving to death by the road because if i interfere with their karma they're just gonna have to do it again so let them sit there and die and that's why when you go to a lot of these countries you see people literally dying heard missionary reports literally dying in the ditches and people just drive right on by, right? Radically different. And that's why he says, so that's their mindset. That's what they're used to, right? Don't touch anybody. Don't help anybody. And nobody helps you, okay? But listen to this. He says this. Jesus demonstrated that people have infinite value by loving them so much that he died for them. Love your Buddhist friend. 
What's Jesus say to do with your enemies? You love them, right? Heap burning coals on their head, right? You bless those who uh, uh, curse you, right? And do good things to those who despitefully use you and things of that nature. Why? Because, wow, sometimes just seeing the power of God's love is what people need to see that this is real. Can I have that? How do you do that? Because nobody's ever done that for me. Okay, uh, let's continue on. Number five, under karma, there can be no appeal, no mercy, and no escape except through unceasing effort at self-perfection. Buddhists constantly struggle to earn merit by doing good deeds, hoping to uh, collect enough to break free from the life of suffering. So what do you do? You focus on God's mercy, is your blank there? Focus on God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. Okay, you can rest, right? I love the book of Hebrews, man. When you get done reading Romans, read Hebrews. Oh, it's just awesome, man. Put those two together, right? And Hebrews talks about entering God's rest, right? It's not the Old Testament. It's not the Old Covenant, right? Enter his rest. Christ has done it all, right? Enter into that rest. Rejoice. Enjoy it. Man, we haven't got to heaven yet. It's good news, so I'll share that with him as well. Now, we're going to finish up. We talked about the last two weeks. We're going to deal with martial arts. That's what we're going to deal with tonight. And again, we're going to deal with Star Wars, Lord willing, next week. But we saw Buddhism, just like with Hinduism, right? Many different ways that they're snookering people to get into this mindset. Oh, I'm never going to put on that orange robe and shave my head and go to the temple like the guys, again, with all due respect, next door to us, okay? But they're still going to get you to become a Buddhist by different ways. And that's with the evangelization that's been going on for many decades here in the West. Now, we already saw that they're doing it with movies, it's a given. Different forms of media. Remember that Zen thing? The Zen Buddhism and stuff? Uh, the, the, the art of Zen for motorcycle repair? <laughs> what? I mean, they're doing everything. Anyways, you saw that. Books, uh, games, right? Video games, things of that nature. Uh, Hollywood moguls, right? It's all with the different actors and actresses and elites and politicians and all those people that are getting into that. And, you know, people look up to them. So, well, maybe that's the right way stuff. But again, number four, we are going to take a look at the martial arts and i'm telling you just like yoga is in my opinion just like yoga is just the pied piper seducing so many people in uh, into hinduism even creeping into churches so is it martial arts when it comes to buddhism but also we're going to see tonight it isn't just buddhism it's also shintoism confucianism and taoism as well but again that's all contrary to christianity so let's take a look at martial arts is this something that we should uh, do it now again some people want to say well hey i just want to uh become uh, fitness all right that's great how about some push-ups right when does jumping jacks go out of style right if you want to get fit right try go, go jogging right why, why does it have to be this again this is just like with yoga all right somebody said well i want to help you know, defend myself all right take up some boxing or something why does it have to be this and you almost kind of can hear the same mentality okay as if people well with yoga it's just i'm just doing the physical Telling you the same thing here, and hopefully that will be clear by the time we end tonight. High-flying kicks combined with deadly punches and lethal throws. Man, that sounded like the first church I pastored. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to say that. Hey, I love you guys. If any of you are still listening. <laughs> a lone warrior single-handed. I could have said here. Okay, a lone warrior single-handedly overpowering a band of burly attackers and an old sage imparting wisdom to a young, attentive disciple. These images depict how many people perceive the martial arts, literally meaning art of warfare, and for good reason. Such popular images stem largely from, guess where? Hollywood. Okay. Some of today's leading action stars have made it big because of martial arts. Of course, you know, the big icons, Bruce Lee, we'll talk about him in a little bit, and uh, other people, Steven Seagal, right, and things of that nature, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, that guy, the French guy, 
And uh, you got the movies Karate Kid, remember that? The success back in those days, you know, wax on, wax off, and whatever that thing was he did there at the end of the movie, he won, I guess. But uh, Teenage uh, Ninja, Mutant Turtles, you know, even cartoons and things, and now that's come back as a movie. It's now part two, I think it's out now. Things of that nature. Now, but over the past few decades, the martial arts have emerged, listen, from relative obscurity. Hardly anybody here in the West did this stuff. Now, it's practice uh, in, uh, used to be reserved for a select few, but now it's a booming industry. Uh, one would be hard-pressed to find a city without at least one martial arts school. It's everywhere. In fact, uh, in a, a five-year span, uh, the number of schools in the United States jumped up 50%. It's going nuts. So a lot of this influence is, is, is uh, working. Uh, one, of the two, uh, one of the two to three million practitioners in the United States alone, okay, of the, one, uh, of the two to three million practitioners in the United States alone, uh, listen to this, about 40% are children. So almost half of all the people right now in the United States who are doing martial arts, it's kids. wonder if we've seen the fruit yet of that investment in them. Uh, between the ages of 7 and 14, with lessons running anywhere from $55 per month to over 100 bucks an hour, added to that the uniforms, the protective gear equipment, the industry is now has an annual revenue topping the billion-dollar mark in the United States. Billion, not million, billion. All right? Uh, it's also common not just for go to these actual martial art centers, but it's common for universities, colleges, adult education classes to offer martial arts courses as well. Even the YMCA. Uh, the YMCAs typically have at least one or more instructors teaching karate or judo, and so do many health clubs. So it's everywhere, just like yoga. Okay? Uh, in, in view of this uh, cultural penetration, it's not surprising that Christians are being influenced in various degrees with martial arts. Now, what's, what's surprising, however, is the reported percentage of martial artists who are claiming to be Christians, and the United States between 50 to 70% of all martial artists and roughly 20% of all instructors consider themselves Christian. So that's half, depending on some figures, three-quarters of people in the United States who are into this activity are saying, oh yeah, hey, no, no worries, I'm a Christian. And one out of every five instructors says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian instructor. Really? Well, let's take a look at what's going on. Uh, Bruce Lee, you know, the enter of the dragon thing? I like what this guy, he uses uh, uh, this phrase, is the dragon. Now, in the Bible, uh, who's the dragon? Revelation, defined as Satan. He said, is the dragon or Satan finding a new entrance into our society and even the church through the popularity of martial arts? I would say yes. Now, we're going to do a little historical dig, and then we're going to see what each one of these, and I can't deal with them all. I'm just going to hit some of the highlight ones, obviously, to show you there's a pattern here. And the pattern is they all have a religious bent to them. Just like with yoga, you can, you can sit there and say all day long, oh, it's just for the physical. But how many times do we see repeatedly from the people in that camp, you cannot separate the physical from the spiritual? It's going to happen. Same thing when it comes to martial arts. You cannot separate the two. Now, what's going to happen is we're going to see that basically... Uh, from a historical perspective, guess who is the wellspring of all this stuff? China. And then it began to spread, and that's what we're going to talk about. China is considered by many to be the predominant source of the ideas and practices that have shaped the martial arts. Okay? Now, of course, they readily admit that there is a religious, philosophical influence embedded into the martial arts. And the first one is what we've talked about already, and that is Taoism. Okay, remember that with the Star Wars thing? We'll get into that again, Lord willing, 
next week. The central theme of Taoism has to do with harmony and the natural flow of the universe. What does Star Wars call it? The Force, right? The Tao, in turn, is divided into two forces called the yin and the yang. Remember we talked about that? The yin and yang represent the negative, positive aspects of the universe. What does Star Wars call it? The dark side, the light side of the force. It's the yin and yang principle. That's all it is. Right? The yin is characterized as the negative force of darkness, coldness, and emptiness. Yang stands for the positive energy that produces light, warmth, and fullness. Okay? That's what it is. Now, becoming one with the Tao, okay, the supposed force, uh, is a common goal for the martial artists. Quote, that's the goal. It's embedded into it. Taoism also sets forth the notion of meditation along with breathing exercises. And basically, that is the way that you become one with this Tao, with this force. And there is a force behind it. You can call it Tao all you want. The Bible calls it demonic. Okay? Breath control is the means of tapping in and controlling this force. Now, they had another name for it, as we saw before. It was called Qi, as in Tai Chi. Remember that? Okay? And that's what they believe this force that you can tap into with these different exercises and movements and what. Now, when it comes to martial arts, when you tap into that force, that's supposed to give you this super-duper power. Okay? And you can get powerful. We're gonna, I'm going to read, if I can get that far, some testimonies. But I'm telling you, it's demonic. It's not from God. This experience will enable one to circulate and direct the power of the chi into any part of the body. Right? You see some of those guys... And, uh, you know, they break through all these giant blocks of ice and they do break through bricks and kick through all this stuff. And, and we say, well, is it just physical? Well, what are they doing before they do all this stuff? Meditating, the breathing exercises, and what's the premise of it? They're developing this chai, this force to give them this. And, and I'm telling you, I think there's, sometimes I think it's chicanery. Sometimes I think it's a, just a physical thing. The guy's pretty burly. You'd smash my leg in half, let alone a board. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> Right? But some of these feats, I think there is a spirit behind it. But you're tapping into the wrong spirit. But they don't call it demonic, it's just called uh, uh, chi. Okay? Now, since chi is allegedly a force or power that can be tapped into by the martial artist, okay, and since breath control is the means to tapping into the chi force, the connection between breath control and breaking boards with a single blow of the hand becomes obvious. It's believed that tapping into the chi via the breath control enables the mar martial arts to perform acts requiring great strength and power. Right? Now, that's just one religion behind mixed into the whole martial arts period that started in China. Okay? The second one is what we saw before is not just Buddhism, but the Zen Buddhism flavor is also woven into it as well. Attaining strength and power was of interest uh, to Badharharma, the Indian monk who is the originator of the Shaolin boxing tradition and who is considered the father of martial arts. Uh, he believed to have been a member of the warrior ruling class in India, and he brought with him a brand of Buddhism known as Zen, we talked about that before, which advocated mental control and meditation as a means of enlightenment. So notice we're not just talking, wow, you can fight really good. What is coming with this package repeatedly called martial arts? A religious mindset, a religious belief, okay? Now, another one, the big one, and we've all seen this one, that comes with that, uh, with, uh, from the China version, uh, is Kung Fu. Everybody is, yeah, I knew you'd get you to say that, that's right, Kung Fu. Kung Fu means ability, all right? Kung Fu means ability, okay? And uh, besides emphasizing the importance of Taoist and Buddhist philosophical principles, uh, uh, stress is also placed on, once again, utilizing the chi force, 
Okay, so even with Kung Fu, oh, I'm just doing Kung Fu, just, no, what are you getting immersed into? And this is their own definition, not mine. You're, what's coming with the package is Buddhism and Taoism and learning to manipulate this force and allow it to manipulate you to give you super strength. Okay? Now, where it spread from there is into this uh, place called Japan, Right? And Japan's also got its version of martial arts. The 9th century AD marked a turning point in Japanese history with the emergence of a professional warrior uh, called the Bushi. And, uh, and after that, they basically uh, arose the military class. Uh, the military class took over Japan at that time, became the ruling class. And a man named uh, Minyamoto Yoriyomo okay, became the first permanent shogun. Remember that movie, Shogun, right? Shogun means a supreme military ruler. So basically, the military took over Japan at this time, okay? But they are into martial arts. Now, the professional warriors of Japan, they refined their arts, okay, of warfare from, guess where? China, right? So that's how it kind of made the leap over into Japan with the martial arts back in the day. Now, the two most popular uh, of Japan are what's called Jujitsu and Nijitsu, now, ninjutsu is where you get the teenage mutant ninja turtles. Now, hopefully the turtles, well, I don't know, they had the, no, I better not say that, but anyway, <laughs> that might be construed wrong, all right? Uh, but anyway, but ninja, right? That's where you get the ninjas from. So let's look at the first one, jujitsu. It means the art of flexibility, all right? Uh, it's basically a no-holds-barred uh, uh, type of fighting. Includes methods of kicking, striking, kneeing, throwing, choking, joint locking, and use of certain weapons, as well as holding and tying an enemy. All right. Now, nujitsu, again, where we get the ninja from, uh, that means the art of stealth. So, jujitsu, the art of flexibility. Nujitsu, the art of stealth. Again, this is from Japan that originally got influenced through China. Okay, is how it made the leap. Now, the nujitsu became, again, the ninjas, and the ninjas were the uh, practitioners of this art, and they were called the warrior mystics, right? So again, even with that term, what do you think is coming with it? Uh, religious mindset, okay? Warrior mystics, and they were in the mountainous regions there in Japan, and they were contracted, actually hired, by the uh, Japan's professional warriors to engage in espionage, sabotage, and disinformation, right? Because they could leap and do all this crazy stuff and sneak in and hide and grab and do all that stuff that they portray in the movies. Now, what comes with these practices, jujitsu and ninjutsu? Well, guess what? You get religion. Okay, along with their martial arts, Japan's professional warriors mastered cultural objects such as, I always thought this is, a, I, I guess this, I, don't, I guess Western mindset, they gotta, maybe it was growing up in the Midwest, I don't know, right? I, I have a hard time with all honesty, uh, just even like doing dance moves at VBS, I don't know, I just, it's just a rough thing, some of you guys can do it and you're really good at it, I just, I don't know, I just, I don't, I just can't get into that. But anyway, so, so the, the, you know, man, I mean, whatever, I digress, I'm going off the deep end tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stick to the topic. So anyway, so they're doing this warrior stuff, this fighting, this new ninjutsu and the jujitsu, right? But anyway, but they also combine it with, listen, this, here's where I'm going with this, flower arranging. See, now you understand my pain, right? Uh, a tea ceremony, calligraphy. Have you noticed in some of the, the, the martial arts movie, the guys are always doing that thing with the long stick, and I'm going, ooh, wow. Right? But anyway, apparently, right? Uh, calligraphy, poetry, and painting. Why? Because those are from Confucianism. Now, it makes sense. So, right? And as you, you know, develop the mind and things of that nature. So, that's, that's where that comes from in those arts. Also, uh, what comes with the Japan version of martial arts, you get, obviously, Shintoism, 
That's not a surprise, because remember that? The worship of Japan, they're the elite people. But you also get, again, the Confucius ideas, not only with some of those mental uh, arts, but also with the ancestor respect, right? Which necromancy, the Bible condemns. Uh, Zen Buddhism, right? And Zen's uh, stoic composure. When you're faced with an adversity or an opponent, you no scare me. I'll get you. Right? And you just look at them with no feel. You know, that's kind of a Zen Buddhist thing. Okay? Now, there's also uh, some popular ones. Uh, it's what's called martial ways, kind of spinoffs of the martial arts in, still in Japan. And that would be Aikido, Judo, and Karate. All right, now let's look at Aikido. Aikido, it means the way of harmony with the chi force. That's what it means. So what do you think is coming with that package? Right? Give me a break. Right? The goal is uh, deeply religious, and the whole goal of Aikido is the unification of the chi permeating the universe to the individual, uh, being inseparable through breath power in each person. That's the whole goal, is to unite yourself with this chi force. Employs, employs a series of flowing circular movements. There, I knew you'd say it. Right? That's what it is. Right? In conjunction with uh, locking, holding, moving, tumbling techniques uh, to turn an opponent's force against himself. Now, judo is another one. Judo means the way of flexibility uh, based on numerous grappling and throwing techniques it's, uh, developed from jiu-jitsu. Okay? Judo is the first Asian martial art to become an Olympic sport back in 1964. And that's why it became uh, very popular. Then you have, of course, karate means the way of the empty hand. And it's a form of fighting that was secretly developed on the island of Okinawa from Chinese sources. Okay, again, influenced the origin of China. In a response to the ban of weapons. So basically, we're going to take your weapons. Oh, yeah, we're going to turn our body into a weapon. Okay, recognized uh, for its uh, devastating array of hand and foot strikes, concentrated breathing exercises, and breaking techniques. Again, boards, bricks, and the like, etc. And the final goal of training is to be the perfection of the self. So, quote, the final goal of just this one brand of martial arts called karate, amongst other issues, it, the whole goal is the perfection of the self. Is that biblical? Is that something that we're striving for? Who perfects us? Praise God, it ain't us. That's back to Buddhism, the emptiness, and the guilt, and the vanity of all that. No, it's through Jesus Christ, and we rest in him. Okay, the Japanese uh, martial arts mentioned above, jiu-jitsu, ninjutsu, aikido, judo, and karate, have thoroughly penetrated the American soil. Listen, one can find schools for these arts in most every major U.S. city. Uh, and one of the most explosive popular martial arts in this country, though, comes from Korea, is the next one, okay, on the list. And Korea is where we get the exciting taekwondo, okay, the kickboxing stuff of that nature. Ooh, is that good? Do you like that? I know you could hardly see it. It was such a blur. It was so fast. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Taekwon means a push shoulder, right? And that originated in northern China. Once again, as we see, where's the wellspring? Where did it all start? China. And so you get these Chinese religious ideals woven into it. Uh, and it extended into Korea. Uh, young Korean soldiers were ed educated in Confucian philosophy and Zen Buddhist ethics. So you're going to get that. Uh, in Taekwondo as well. It's a national sport of uh, uh, Korea. Uh, it has a membership of over 140 countries. That's a big chunk of the planet. Okay. And listen, quote, just as baseball can be said to be the national pastime of the USA, so Taekwondo is the national pastime in Korea. Huge, huge thing. 80% of Taekwondo is kicking. Okay. You can see a lot of it in the media here. 
with the cage fighting, the, the kickboxing, and things of that nature. Uh, there's also, though, a religious side to the Taekwondo, even here in the West. Now, listen to this. Remember when we started this part, and the guys have said uh, uh, 50% to 70% of the people involved in martial arts today in the United States consider themselves Christians? And 20%, one out of every five of the people teaching the martial arts course say they're Christian? Well, here's some quotes from these people who say they're Christians. You tell me, I'm sorry, with all due respect, that they're Christian. Listen to this. Uh, here in the West, a uh, Jun Ri, who is often considered to be the father of American Taekwondo and who claims to be a Christian. So that's in that percentile. But listen to this. But he believes in religious pluralism and denies the deity of Jesus Christ. So all paths get you there. All truth is found in many different ways. And Jesus isn't God. Can you be a Christian and maintain that i'm sorry so again the statistics say that they say they're christians but how many are really true christians the as we've seen so many times the definition of what constitutes a christian has been so dumbed down that anybody you just apparently say you're a christian somehow you are one not true Okay, but that's just that. And he also says that instructors, listen, have a constitutional right to teach their respective religious beliefs in their studios. So here's a guy who says he's a Christian, but he denies the deity of Christ and says all paths lead to heaven. And he says we have a right to uh, put in our martial arts courses our religious beliefs. So right there, what do you think is happening? Is it just physical? No, of course not. The religious is always going to come out, and they admit. Now, this is the lady version, uh, a Thai young Kim. She's the first Korean grandmaster of Taekwondo. She teaches her students in California to foster a deep relationship with the silent master, who is the, quote, power of true self. And how do you contact that power? Through meditation and visualization. Do you think that's going to lead to Jesus? No. Okay? And again, these are people who say... Uh, 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 some of these people would say that they're Christians. Uh, uh, Dr. Daishik Kim, he's a physical education professor at the University of Austin, Texas. So this is being taught again in universities. He believes that Taekwondo, listen to this, he admits this evangelism campaign. He says Taekwondo, which has a strong historical tie with Zen Buddhism, quote, will help harmonize the philosophies of Zen and Christianity in the West. So what did he admit? And this is in the university, American university. What did he admit? He says, oh, no, they're not over here trying to evangelize. It's all just for sport. It's entertainment. It's for good physical exercise. I'm learning to defend myself. No, it's not. What did he just say? This is coming over here to blend the two together. Right? And that's what you, again, need for a one-world religion. All paths, they all just work together. Right? He admits it. Now, the spread of martial arts in the West has uh, prompted self Oh, listen to this quote. The spread of martial arts into the West has already prompted self-questioning in many Westerners who have been influenced to it and since the deeper undercurrents. Can I, can I translate that for you? It's causing them to doubt the Bible and Christianity. That's the facts. In recent years, the popularity of the Korean arts has skyrocketed. Uh, approximately 30% of all martial arts practiced in the United States is this, uh, the Korean arts. Okay, that's how popular it is. And their special appeal is to women and children. Okay, now let's talk about a little bit more uh, here, a couple more, and then I want to show you an exciting video clip. Uh, we're going to deal with also, just really quick, uh, another one from uh, Thailand uh, is the first one we're going to take a look at. And uh, in fact, then the final one that we're going to take a look at uh, is from the Philippines. 
Okay, uh, Thailand, of course, uh, is a, a kickboxing, their version of kickboxing as well, influenced by the Chinese boxing and the fighting arts of India. And uh, Buddhist monks were the primary instructors, okay, in their version. So again, what do you think comes with the package? Same thing, okay. Uh, they, and, uh, but that's Thai kickboxing in Thailand. Uh, the one in the Philippines is called Kali, is their version of martial arts. And uh, Kali, of course, means sword, and so they use knives and sticks along with empty-handed techniques like with karate. On the spiritual level, the Kali practitioner, uh, the whole goal is to become one with Bathala, and that's their version of a, a chief deity. Okay, so again, it's religious. Uh, and uh, Kali is uh, devoted to the development of internal power. How? How do you get this power? Through meditation, deep breathing exercises, chanting, mantras, prayer, and mystical visualization. So is that something that's just purely physical? No, not at all. Uh, modifications to Kali became uh, known as the Arnis and the Eskrima. Arnis pertains to the fighting systems based on using uh, uh, one or two hard sticks, use sticks to fight with. Uh, excrema is the, the basin used of the sword and the dagger while they fight as well. Uh, in Arnis, listen to this one, I thought this was interesting. Uh, the practitioner is, quote, trained to concentrate his gaze on his opponent's forehead. Right? And stare, a stare is developed which seems to penetrate through the opponent and creates an attitude of dominance over him. The expert is trained to stare for an extended period without winking. And you just thought we made that game up as kids. You want to have staring contest? Especially at restaurants. That's awesome. Dude, you just lost. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> can you believe that? Right? Anyway, after all, quote, a wink in combat might prove fatal. Right? Okay. And then, of course, finally you got Bruce Lee. And uh, we'll move on here. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee had his own kind of thing called the Jeet Kune Do, uh, the way of the intercepting fist. Uh, he was, uh, has a strong Taoist undercurrent running through his philosophy. And basically, he came up with his kind of version uh, because he felt, quote, traditional systems imprison practitioners. So follow him, and you can be set free. So again, there's so many more. You can go and do your own research. There's a multitude of different martial arts, spinoffs of that, whatever. But the same root comes from the ultimate root, and that's from China. And these different, uh, different uh, countries with their different religions, it's all mixed in. You cannot separate the two. What can we conclude? Quote, they are deeply religious, and listen, can lead to the esoteric and the occult. Anything? Are you serious? Well, yeah. Well, Chris actually sent me this video, and uh, it's a compilation of them, and I put it together because it's like, man, I, I was, we did a lot of videos in the uh, uh, Islam section, and I was trying to break away from that because, man, I about fried myself. And, uh, but this one was too good to not have to share with you guys because I think, oh, come on. Because, again, I'm telling you, it's just like a yoga thing. Oh, I'm not going to get possessed. I'm not worshiping a Hindu. It's just yoga. It's just, I'm telling you, it's the same thing as martial arts. So I want to give you a video, right? And this is the, uh, uh, a thing that they do is with uh, tattoos. Uh, Sakyant, I think is what it's called. And this is one of their annual festivals, and you're going to see people getting this special tattoo. The special tattoo uh, at this particular festival was in honor of a, a Buddhist monk guy. But if you do the history on these type of tattoos, okay, these tattoos are supposed to be magical. These tattoos, the uh, martial artist, not just the individual, but the martial artist would literally tattoo themselves. In, in fact, sometimes tattoo their whole bodies because they believe these mystical tattoos will protect them from knives and swords and arrows and things of that nature. Okay? And I do believe that there is a spirit behind it. But as you're going to see in a second, I don't think it's a spirit of God. Watch what happens when people submit themselves 
to this brand of uh, martial art tattooing celebration. Let's take a look. Thousands gather outside a Bangkok temple to get in touch with their spiritual side and pay respects to magic tattoo master Luang Pa Pun. The Buddhist monk passed away in 2002 at age 79, but his following is more alive than ever, and his tattoos are said to cast a trance on believers. I wear 17 Hanuman tattoos. They are very powerful. It is very hot in my body. Some even become possessed by the spirits of the animal tattoos on their bodies. It doesn't matter how many tattoo scripts you put on the body, but if your mind doesn't connect to the gods, then the gods won't possess you. The tattooing practice is done in the traditional method using a long spear and ink made from herbs and even cigarette ash. Hey guys, we're here at Wat Ban Pra. We're 50 kilometers outside of Bangkok, and this place is known for Sakyan tattoos. The Sakyan tattoos are known for their magical properties. They can do anything from just bless you with normal, simple good fortune to uh, give you the ability to dodge bullets. And I'm here because I want to get one of these. Yeah. Well, I just got my tattoo. I'm feeling pretty, pretty excited now. I mean, it hurts a little bit still, but not too much. So now that I got my tattoo, tomorrow is the Waikou Festival. As soon as we got to the Waikou Festival, my cameraman and I got separated because of the chaos and, and all the craziness of the crowds. And a lot of these people who have had tattoos before and getting into a trance, they're acting you know, really crazy and wildly, they're throwing themselves around. Some of them are jumping over people, some of them are, are, are diving, and if all you have is whatever space is immediately around the hairs of your body. So it's, it's a little chaotic, it's a little scary really. Um, it's a pretty dangerous, I can, I can definitely tell you that. something is wrong but hey it's a good thing that tattoos and martial arts are not popular here in the west Woo! I'm telling you there's a spirit behind it okay and we're getting duped now over there it's celebrated okay now speaking of which uh, with those particular uh, uh, magic tattoos 
in the martial arts. Uh, all levels of society take the practice very seriously uh, with these types of tattoos, frequently uh, for soldiers, doctors, monks, actors, politicians, as well as criminals and mafia assassins. Because, again, they're supposed to protect you. Listen to this. And many women also get them. And the most, uh, probably one of the most famous ones who's already gotten one, as we saw, already made the list of who considers himself to be a Buddhist, and that would be Angelina Jolie has these kind of tattoos. Interesting. I wonder if it gives her certain abilities. Okay, but I want to close with uh, a guy, probably I'd say one of the top guys uh, in this industry who, as a Christian, had to get out. So again, it's somebody who's been there to the nth degree, you listen to what he has to say. Uh, one of our greatest concerns is that Christians who participate in the martial arts, especially Christian children, might be contaminated and harmed by these Eastern uh, aspects of thought. Uh, this, of course, must be avoided, and there could be no compromise when it comes to one's relationship with Jesus Christ. When God said when you entered into the country uh, with the Israelites, what did he say to do about the cultures and the influence of the people around them? Get rid of them. Get, make a clean break. Get No, don't mix. No, why? Because there are going to be what? Barbs in your eye and thorns in your side. Don't do it. They're going to seduce you. They're going to eventually pull. Oh, you think it's going to be just fine? Oh, just have No, separate. Right? And that's what he's saying. Of course, uh, what again comes with these uh, is meditation. Uh, again, the chi force. Okay, uh, and we should avoid all that. And because, again, that is a practice that you are trying to link yourself to have supernatural capabilities, which those powers are demonic. But the guy I want to share with the testimony is this guy. And you might have heard of him if you're familiar with the industry. And it's a guy named Bill Rudge. Okay, Bill Rudge. Okay, he is the founder of the Christian, Christian Martial Arts Association, or the CMAA. Okay, this is the guy. This is the founder but in 1994, he got out, and he had to get out. So this is the guy who was there to the nth degree and started this foundation, okay? And he forsook everything. Now, he gives five reasons why he left and got completely out of this uh, martial arts thing. He said the first reason was because it's spiritual. Now, this is the guy in there who started the CMAA, not me, and here's what he is saying. He refers to the attitudes easily, the psychological and spiritual connotations uh, developed when you get into martial arts. Egotism, he says, self-sufficiency, pride, the desire for power and control, even arrogance. He said these are often developed by the adherents. Many claim humility, but it's a false deceptive humility. He says, quote, I began to think I was, this is a Christian. He be, I began to think that I was God and almost invincible. I became haughty and egotistical and had this air of superiority when dealing with people. He said, quote, and I saw the same attitude in almost every single student and instructor, even Christians that I met. Many impressionable students, even advanced practitioners, idolized and practically worshipped their senseis and masters. That's the fruit. Number one reason why he got out. Number two is he said because of the violent uh, nature of the practice. Okay? He knows self-defense and the use of force is scripturally justifiable. Not against that. That's why I say, hey, you want to learn to defend? You want to protect your home? There's ways to do that. You don't have to get into martial arts. Right? Do some boxing, do some whatever. Just Hey, you know, whatever. Hand-to-hand combat and stuff like that. Right? Without this element, hey, okay. But listen, many of the techniques, he says, being taught transcend self-defense and they are designed specifically to maim and cripple one's opponent. So it's not about defending anymore. Okay? These tactics are not so much defensive as they are retaliatory. Listen, he says, one time before I quit karate, he says, a man got so obnoxious with me that I actually considered taking his eyes out. 
as a Christian. Is that something you want welling up inside you? No. The third reason, he says, is the physical danger. Okay, the physical danger. He said, I frequently have black and blue marks all over my arms and legs and chest and uh, from sparring and training and, and, and uh, things of that nature. And many people eventually develop arthritis, joint injuries, various other debilitations and health problems, all because of the martial arts involvement. The fourth reason is the occult. His words, not mine. Okay, he observes that many people who began innocently using the martial arts merely for self-defense, physical discipline, health benefits, or sports competition eventually become involved in occult practices. His words. The fifth reason, he says, was this one, his testimony. His testimony is a Christian, right? He said, he points out that during many years of the martial arts demonstrations to Christians that he would give, again, this is the Christian martial arts, CMA, okay? And he says he believed that he was having this wonderful testimony for the Lord. But he started noticing that Christians being introduced to the martial arts as a physical discipline still became involved in mysticism. And some seem to be, listen, transferring their allegiance from Christ to the martial arts. Uh Uh-oh. He says, I thought I could, and many Christians claim to be able to, remove the mystical occult elements and limit my training only to the physical aspect. I tried to justify teaching karate classes and doing self-defense clinics and demonstrations in churches, in schools, and detention centers because of the tremendous impact I was having and all the fruit I thought I was bearing for the Lord. But now I realize that far more people got into the practice and philosophy of the martial arts than were genuinely led to Christ. I discovered they're becoming more and more committed to the martial arts and less and less committed to Jesus Christ. And he said, it is alarming that most of them honestly do not recognize the potential danger of some of their practices and how their worldview is being subtly influenced. Can't escape it. He also points out that many professing Christians, listen, professing Christians, right? Because if you're a Christian and you walk away from Jesus Christ, did you lose your salvation? No. What's 1 John 2, 18, 19 say? They went out from us because they never belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them, I didn't say this, God did, none of them belonged to us. Okay? But is this an influence that you want to be sharing with other people when we're supposed to be sharing the gospel? No. But he says this. He also points out that many professing Christians who were his karate associates took up later, guess what else came? Yoga, meditation, transcendental meditation, and some even consider themselves Zen, Buddhist, or Taoist now. He also recalls a particularly tragic uh, and frightening incident that was related to the occult aspects of the martial arts. He interviewed a fifth-degree black belt uh, whose father was a ninth-degree black belt. The father went berserk and attacked his son with a samurai sword. The son had to fight with his father to prevent his father from killing him, and he feared his whole family as well. The gruesome battle, he said, lasted almost an hour. In the end, the son had some 40 cuts on his body and had his throat ripped open. Finally, he killed his father with a pair of nunchucks. The son was tried for murder but released on the basis of self-defense, and investigations revealed that his father had voodoo dolls with pins stuck into them. He had a black candle which he used when meditating, and he was involved in other occult practices. Keep going. Guess what's going to come out? All right. And the son's explanation, this is the guy involved, he said his explanation for the horrible tragedy was, quote, that his father had become demonized through the martial arts. His words, not mine. Rudge also refers to a man he met involved in a particular Chinese martial arts style who allegedly, through the chi force, could actually move objects with his mind. Uh, His instructor could extend his arm 
and point a finger at someone, and by concentrating and extending his chi, he could knock them down without even touching them, and many other supposed supernatural feats. This same individual noted that the spirits of the dead could also become involved in assisting one's martial arts performance. Uh, the spirit of the dead, do dead people come back to earth? No. So what spirit is it? It's a demon. It's a familiar spirit. Right? You might say that you're some former master or whatever, but that's what it is. Oh, by the way, not to get too sidetracked, we might get into this in the occult, but there are certain actors, singers, actresses in Hollywood today who openly admit that before they perform, certain spirits come into them and give them supernatural power. What's the first one that rhymes with Beyonce? <laughs> yeah, it's Beyonce. That's one. Check it out for yourself. I'm not making this up. It's on record and it's in print. Okay, uh, but anyway, so this is the same guy. He says that this chief force, but the spirits of the dead can come inside you, i.e. demons and give you supernatural power. He told me that, quote, sometimes if they were totally yielded, the spirits of dead masters, which would be demons, possessed their bodies and controlled their movements greatly, increasing their skill, performance, speed, and power. He also said that they can put hexes and spells on people and uh, told of other occult powers and phenomena. So Rudge eventually felt convicted of the Lord and he could continue in this no longer. He said, I realized I began to teach occult techniques to develop mental powers and the power of chi all in the name of Christ. You cannot blend the two. Read the Bible. Separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Right? Scripture says. And few, if, listen this comment, this is kind of sad. And few, if any, ever questioned what I was teaching. Remember, he was doing this in churches. He says, nor did any Christian leaders I consider credible rebuke me. In fact, most loved it and encouraged me to keep continuing. But as an individual, as an individual Christian, he felt convicted. I can't do this anymore. This is blasphemy. And this is the guy who started the so-called Christian version. I didn't say it. He did. So it looks to me like, once again, they're doing a really good job. Movies, media, books, games, moguls from Hollywood and stuff, and the martial arts into getting people into this Buddhist mindset. But Lord willing, next week we're going to finish up our study with that's right, how's the music go? Dun, dun. That sounds like a funeral dirge, dude. That's sad. I want people to come back next week. Hype it up. Yeah, whatever. Star Wars. Yeah, so we're going to take a look at a whole study basically on Star... There you go. That's a little, that's a little pipey. What is that? I like that key. That's nice. But anyway, let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. 
Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.